0: You know, the, the concept of leadership has been built around um, straight white man. You know, mid-40s, wealthy. That's what we've had to learn how to be leaders within. That's how our reality has been shaped by those, those men, basically. That's what it was when I grew up. And to some degree, it's still that, but there's a much more um, diverse voice that we, that we have now.
1: This is The Summit by Fearless Adventures. I'm Dominic McGregor. And every week, my co founder David Nunes and I will be talking to inspirational leaders about their experiences as they strive towards their summit. Hello, and welcome
2: to the summit. We're here on our uh, podcast talking to inspirational leaders about their business and personal success and everything in between, what their personal summits were, what their lows were. And we're here today joined by Lisa, who founded Roland Dransfield which is a preeminent communications and PR agency in the UK. So we're really excited to hear your journey, Lisa. Thank you very much
1: what does the journey mean to you and what, what does your adventure look like and how did you get into everything you're doing at the moment?
0: That's a massive question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, there's no doubt you're still on a journey. If you're not on a journey, you might as well kind of, you know, lay, lie in bed and put the duvet over your head and, and stop. And um, the journey moves because your destination changes or you kind of, your own summit changes at different times in your life. Um, you know, I think over my career. I sat really in up 25 years ago and you know, that was such an exciting time in my life to, to want to um, start as something that I could live my kind of values, my purpose through. Um, and had a massive amount of energy and a huge amount of naivety as well. You know, and it's, you look back to some of the things, some of the mistakes you made early on. But in those early years where, you know, you're just an enthusiastic entrepreneur in a way, two years later, you know, I've got Two kids that I'm tr- I've got, you know, very a baby. I've got to negotiate and try and figure out how to be an entrepreneur with a baby, then have another baby, and then I have a divorce, and then I'm trying to figure out how I've become a, an entrepreneur single parent. You know, and so all those times in your your life, I suppose you're just aiming to, uh, for something that is just going to define you at that point. And I think I've never thought my goal is to be at the top of that that summit. There, I've always had those little summits and little um, ascends along the way. And where you check in to where you are, do you feel that you're where you need to be? Again, sometimes in your life you feel absolutely, yes, I am. But there's also, and we've had this conversation, Dom, there's lots of times along that journey you think, what the hell am I doing here? And in navigating that situation as much um, in your personal development as, as, your, as your professional development, I think.
2: It must have been you know, a big step 25 years ago to set up your own business, how do you think the landscape's changed around female entrepreneurs you know what what needs to be done further because you know we're on a journey there as well how's that changed over that 25 years I mean you know you've had this amazing success you've seen that entire journey talk to us about that
0: it's changed massively when I grew up I never thought being a woman was going to be an obstacle to to have a a career and I always wanted my own career um in actual fact I started my career when I was eight years old at my godfather who's Roland Dransfield who I named the business after came to my house and he'd always been saying uh, you need your own business so he brought a bucket and a sponge to my house one day to mum's house and said right you've got a car washing around now so go out and clean the neighbours cars and when you come back if you've made enough to pay me for the, the bucket and the sponge you're in profit if you've not then you need to we need to talk about that again next week and um, so he always instilled in me that it was irrelevant, so as an eight-year-old girl knocking on people's doors, asking them if I could wash the car for them and accepting that I'm going to get some no's, I think I learned very early on that it's just as a human being, it's how you show up, you know, if you've got that confidence, can you stand rejection? But when I started my career then, I would say, there were no jobs when I was 21 and I got this job with a one-man band, Um, I immediately felt, having come out of university where I felt free to be who I was, it didn't matter what gender I was, um... The, the societal construct around us was very much geared against women. Um, there was a, a, a boys' network. Even for my, my second boss, who was a female, there was bullying. You know, there was definitely a different treatment for women than men in that working environment, which is a complete shock to me. I know I've worked a lot in the property industry, um, so there are a lot of young property um, men and older property guys, very, very male-orientated, completely sexist. We go and do events... Um, and we'd be sexually harassed, or not assaulted necessarily, but you you weren't seen as an equal. And I used to go home and cry at night. Sometimes I used felt used to feel um, that I had to go through that for a few years as a young woman in order to make myself um, respect not respected to make myself. I've kind of thought when I get older I'll stop getting treated like that. And um, when you get a platform, I think when I set my own business up when I was twenty eight there's some credibility that comes with that. So certainly there is a status with that that helps. But no, it was very, very different in those days. I would also say that you didn't have that network of amazingly strong women around you, which we have now. I mean, I've just been involved you know, a lot in International Women's Day and um, done some great panels and hosted a panel. Um, and there's a camaraderie and there's there's a huge amount of respect and support amongst women. And I think one of the things has been that throughout my career, and hopefully it'll change for future generations, is that, you know, the, the concept of leadership has been built around um, straight white man, you know, mid-40s, wealthy. That's what we've had to learn how to be leaders within. That's how we've been... Um, that's how our reality has been shaped by those those men, basically. That's what it was when I grew up in, um, in, in into my career. And, and to some degree, it's still that, but there's a much more um, diverse voice that we we have now and young people coming into the working environment that have not come through public school they've not got moneyed parents they've not got that network it's not we're not there yet but I think it's definitely getting there because there's more support um for people who don't just fit that kind of um that model that that we had when we were getting into business
1: you said something that was really scared me a little bit is that you had to go through Mm. the sexual harassment Mm. is that how it felt like there was no choice but it was no. like you go for it, put it, yeah, put up, shut up, and get for it.
0: Well, yeah. So basically, on the streets of Manchester, for example, you know, when I, you know, born in born in Manchester, grew up in Salford, I could handle myself. There's absolutely no way that if I was walking down a street, you know, we got used to get pulled by cops, used to get pulled over by police coming home from a club when you were driving. You know, you were, you were it was a free market. Uh, I had no issue in calling people out. Like I would tell the police what I thought of them if, if in that situation. And so you had freedom there. And, then, and I didn't f- ever feel that really until I started working at university and at sixth form and school didn't, really. Um, but as soon as you walked through an office door, you had, to, you had to adhere to a different set of rules. I had a call I had in my... I was working for a, a, it was a small business and it was run by a female um, principal. And one of our clients phoned up one day said could he speak to me and so it was a small office I got the call through to me and asked me if I would um, go somewhere and be a model in a video Or oh, it must have been a video at the time it so long ago I'm not sure we even had it <laughs> um, we, didn't have, we didn't have the internet to lie in a slab naked for his, him and his mate's band and the, and my boss knew that call was coming through He knew what, she knew what that request was and they all, everyone thought it was funny so yeah You'd go into a boardroom and you know monthly, monthly boardroom, say, of a, of a client that I'd be working on as account exec, and you were it was open season. Yeah, you you would you were just the girl, the PR girl, um, and it made me resolved. Um, certainly, when I started my own business, that I wouldn't ever accept it. And I remember it being in a early on when I set, set the business up, and I was working with a law firm which is full of male client male partners, and. I remember one situation where my value was I prepared to lose. It's my biggest account. It was a big account. It was kind of keeping the business um it going in the right direction. And I just thought, I'm going to say my piece. And I said my piece and I said, I'm prepared to walk out this door and never work for this business again because I'm not going to tolerate being spoken to like that. And they apologised profusely and we carried on. So I, feel, I felt it's important as I've gone to educate um, and not accept it and I will not tolerate any of our female team or any of our team um, having to work with people who don't respect them.
1: So how much does you think adversity in terms of, be it situation when growing up, childhood, introduction to professional environment, defines your outlook on the journey mm. and what you want to achieve and what success looks like to you?
0: We've had people that have come in our team and they've they've been very fortunate young people. I was a fortunate young person, I was very lucky, I mean, my, my dad and my mum worked hard and put me through, you know, I got good schooling. Um, but we did have, you know, um, we had some challenges along the way. But so you do see some young people who have not had that adversity. And when something happened, like the pandemic, for example, there was shit, like you no know, couldn't cope, like people's heads fell off, young people. And those people who had had a privileged upbringing, a privileged journey to that point. And then I've seen a huge amount of learning and growth from those young people as well. Um and, and an acceptance and understanding of people who've not had the same privileges. You know, in that lockdown situation, everyone in our team, they were all from, they, had, they were in good home environments. We did a lot of work with organisations who had young people who didn't have internet, couldn't even, didn't all have Wi-Fi, you know, they were working. Um, you know, the desk was an inch from the bed in that time. So, so, But I do think adversity does help you to become stronger, for sure. You know, it gives you lessons, it gives you things to think about. I mean, my dad always used to say, one thing you learn from experience is that you don't learn from experience. That is true in some cases. But when I look back over my life, I mean, for example, there's 22 months between my son and my daughter and I was pregnant with my daughter and I put in place somebody to come and uh, who's in my team promoted them to look after the team so that I could have three months off because I'd had probably a month off with my son. And on the, I think I was in the delivery room after I'd had Nina and I was told by my brother that the person i put in place had resigned, that, as I was giving birth probably, and was then ripping, trying to rip the clients out of the business on that day. And the, ter- the, the terror of that, knowing that I- I've got a brand new baby here, how I'm going to be a mum, my marriage was pretty much on the rocks at that point, so I'm thinking, you know, oh my God, my business is going to fall to bits. It was sheer terror what that taught me in that situation was that the stuff that I'd done before and the, and the credibility and the, I suppose the credits that I'd had with clients and my team—they they were supported by that by my integrity. To that point, I didn't back myself in that situation. I thought I was going to lose everything. The adversity taught me a lot because I realised that in actual facts, I did have that um, loyalty and, it, and I did have that. Time, I suppose, from clients to say, don't worry, we know you're going through an awful time and we'll we'll back you. So the pandemic, you know, massive adversity for, for us as a business. On, in March, we build like our best month ever. The next month later, we build less than a build in the first. The first month of me actually starting Roland Dransfield 25 years ago. My goodness. So, you know, a few Brown paper bags were blown into, I have to tell you that. But, you know, I learned in that situation that couldn't change anything. It's external circumstances. So you all dig into whatever journey you're going through and learn along the way. And we're in much, much better shape through going through that as a team and me personally than I was even before. Because we backed ourselves so much more
2: by coming through that huge uh, adverse time. So what's next? You've built this amazing, fantastic business across the UK. What are, you, what, what are your principles now? Has your mission changed? You know, what, what are you going to tackle next?
0: So the principles definitely haven't changed. And we, we did a piece of work around our values about three years ago, which was liberating, life-changing. And the back of that, the business flew uh, because I personally in my own life set boundaries and I realised that it was, um, it was okay. It wasn't, you shouldn't be ashamed to have boundaries. That's a good thing. Uh, so we attracted the right kind of people. We attracted the types of clients we really want to work for rather than having some of those clients that are just going to cover you, your fees because you need to, to cover your overhead. Um, and we launched our own podcast, We Built This City, which was to celebrate Mancunians, Born, Bread, or Adopted and about their legacy, their values and their purpose. And in really, I think our brands became, um, our value became our brand. So um, as a result of that, it's completely shifted how we work and who we work with and who works with us. So on the back of that, I've also launched a podcast business. Well, it's to be launched, but we've got um, eight amazing clients and brands and businesses that we're working on podcast creation and, and marketing with. I had a business that I'd set up just before lockdown uh, called Voyage Her, which is really an excuse for me to travel more because <laughs> I love it. And I've done a lot of traveling on my own. Um, and that's for to support women in terms of small groups or single travel. So we can start that again now. I'm going to climb Kilimanjaro in October. It's looking at the summit there, yeah. So now I've said it, I've got to do it. And we're going to just grow the LA business. Um, but I also, I've got a couple of, of business ideas with my son and my daughter and I want to ha- have some time to help support them on their own journeys and kind of create the path that they are finding now um, as young people. What
1: is driving you now? You know, there's a lot, lot of things there and it's... It feels like you know you built a really great—it's like a plant a little bit. You know you built a really good stem, and you've got everything now, and you're starting to flourish. You know why do you think it's the right time to bloom?
0: I would say that in the last five years, um, in in terms of doing that personal work around boundaries and values, and doing that at the same time with the business, it it has. So I've worked work with a coach at the time, and I came out of a traumatic relationship, it's horrendous. One of the point at which you think, what? On earth did I do? If anyone looked at you, they wouldn't think for one second get yourself into that. And like you said and we taught, you've got to get to rock bottom sometime in order to do that build, that recovery. I'd got to rock bottom probably a year before and then threw myself into the business. And in terms of trying to grow the business, I'd allowed narcissistic behaviour to creep into the business. Um, and when I paired it all back and I said, no, we're going to literally start from scratch in terms of rebuilding those values, setting those boundaries... My um, coach said to me, well, he said, the most important thing he said to me is everything you need you have. And at that time, I didn't think, I couldn't comprehend that. I thought I needed validation. I needed more stuff. I needed more business. Um, I needed more validation again. Um, after checking with people on, on whether what I was thinking and doing was right. And when I got to understand that, 80 months later, I remember I was actually, I think it was in Florida, and I thought, wow, everything I need I have. And what it made me realise is that everything we need is, is in here, and so once you get okay and you back yourself and you have, you know, you know your own value, he, you know, he said to me, you, you, your world is going to open up. I didn't believe him, and it has done, you know. And and the two pieces of work, doing those that value piece and boundaries on me and the business means that I feel completely secure in what I do every single day, um, and I back myself in terms of. Deciding what I want to do on a daily basis or setting myself goals, and I'm also confident the fact that if I don't make it so at a certain point that I want to be, that's also okay. <laughs> I've spent a lot of time beating myself up, um, and genuinely, every single day of my life, I am extremely happy and I'm, I'm where I want to be. So I kind of roll with the type of things, and if I feel like I want to pursue something, go, go in a direction, for example. What gets me out of bed every day, you said that, is for me, is making the connection. I've just come down here, I'm sitting in this library, and there's all these amazing books on the wall, and they're all Asian books, aren't they? And I've seen one here that's right next to me saying, Forces for Good. And that's about how um, you put more more back in than you take out, which is what I believe in. Um, And so for me now, my personal journey is how I can use my platform in whatever businesses I set up, and in my own personal way that I show up in life, to actually do that. And and use my resources to create more, and I expect that of everyone that works with me, uh, and who we work for.
1: You sound like you're just getting started, Mm -hmm. and you've already, you know, you're doing it for, as you said, twenty five years. Mm -hmm. What advice do you give to like entrepreneurs now who are, you know, sat there looking at maybe six years or seven years as a long time in business? What would you say to people to think in like longer term? Mm -hmm.
0: I think to accept if you are an entrepreneur and you want to go out on a journey that make it your life's journey. You know, you can have lots and lots of iterations of yourself um, personally. You know, I'm not the same person I was when I started my business. And I've had times in that journey where I look back and I think, oh, my God, you're, a, you're, a, you're that much of who you are now. And don't mean in terms of success, I mean in terms of confidence or where I show up. See life as a journey see, and put more in than you take out. And believe that your journey, you're only going to succeed in your journey if along that way you help other people. And um, You can't be successful. This is what you're doing in your business, Fearless Adventures. You know, you're, you're gonna, your success and your purpose will be defined by how you help other people find theirs. And that's the joy. It's that platform, isn't it? It's not just the fact that, for me, what profit have we made this year. My profit is when I look back on 12 months and I think, oh, my God, look at that magic we created this year. That's for me. I'm okay. I've got a roof over my head. I can have a nice holiday. My kids are good. I've got enough. So I want to just, you know, use my platform to do those things. And and for me, the magic that we get, like we talk about uh, purposeful relationships, not PR anymore. When you look at those relationships and you see that magic of putting two people together or two organisations together and see what they can achieve and then you don't even forget about it. You make the introduction then two years down the line and it happens people come and say... Oh my God, you only know, introduced us. We've raised a million pounds for Princess Trust. You go, really? I don't know. What? And that's from one connection. So that's your legacy. That's the footprint. And I would say if you approach your career and your journey and your entrepreneurial kind of path like that, you're going to look back on it and you're going to be really happy no matter how many profit, you know, what the profit financially and what you've got in your bank account because it's the emotional bank account for me that's important. That's my favourite answer to that.
2: Oh, <laughs> it's really cool. Yeah. yeah, I was really inspired when you went back to, back on your journey about that moment when you went to a client and you were willing to kind of put your purpose mm-hmm. ahead of losing, you know, potentially losing a client. Yeah. I think you know the strength that, that must have taken. Mm-hmm. It's just in, it generally is really inspiring um, because you know I can my own stories. Uh, I can think of moments when I haven't done that. So thank you for sharing that. Cause that's really inspiring. Thank you.
1: Did you make profit with? the bucket and sponge first day I did you did
0: I did and the thing that I'm really <laughs> desperate to find out is how much how much it was because no one in our family can remember how much Roland charged me for it he taught me the difference on the day between retail and wholesale so he made me pay retail did he? <laughs> he said at that point <laughs> in your career you're not in a position to buy wholesale you've not actually built enough, up enough uh, status to be so buy he wholesale he did yeah I, but I got my mum's fair liquid for free she gave me that free on is the that? day yeah <laughs> <laughs> It was a good lesson. It was a good lesson. And he was a, And for that reason, I named my business after him because I wanted to show up in the world the way he did. You know, he was, um, he'd come from nothing. And he, his success was by how he helped other people. And he actually found my dad under his car, mending his car in it. And my dad was a mechanic. And he liked, he liked the way that my dad interacted with him, the service that dad gave. And he offered him a job and my dad worked with him for... A long, long time and then ended up having Roland Transfield engineers together. And so I took the name of that business over and I set up a PR company. My dad used to call PR organized lying. He didn't get it. He was like totally... <laughs> oh, <nice laughs> lying. He didn't understand it. But, you know, yeah, it's good that Roland's legacy has kind of come all this, yeah. All this way.
2: Yeah. So in terms of the industry, how's it changed over 25 years? You know, PR feels to me like it's gone through a huge disruption. Mm. Talk to us about, about how, how yeah. this happens and well, ways of the future of the industry.
0: For me, as I say, you know, the reason we changed PR to, to purposeful relationships was the fact that it is all about relationships. When I first came into it, it was print media, it was events, it was lobbying, but it was mostly um, a white man's black book. That's what it was. That's and uh, the thing that appealed to me about PR was the um, its communicating. I love writing, love the creative side of it. I also am interested in people and what makes them tick. So I was interested in how you could influence and bring people along on the journey with you. So I started PR and they didn't have the internet. We had faxes. I, my kids can't believe that I had to find a pink stuffed flamingo without the internet for a photo <laughs> shoot. That flamingo, I think it cost about 150 quid to hire, but probably cost thousands of pounds because it took two weeks and hundreds of phone calls. 2008 recession, it killed us because PR, you couldn't measure it. And so people wanted to, how you know, we, we, no one had any money to spend and they weren't spending it on PR because it wasn't tangible enough. So at that point I realised that we'd got to be able to get to a situation where we could measure what we were doing because clients would want it at that time. Um, and we spent our last dollar literally I was balancing checks. We had nothing in the bank, couldn't get an overdraft. And we heard about content marketing and HubSpot, this new platform. And I was like, right, let's get on a plane, go to Boston, and went with Maria, who's still with me today, and um, we went to this conference, literally had no clue, and got up to speed and realised we had to, to, to understand content marketing, and we brought digital people onto the team again. I didn't know if they are doing a good job or not, I had no clue, it wasn't my language, but we just took that punt and we modernised, and I remember Andy Spinoza from Spin PR at the time said to me, um, probably a, a year or so down the line, you know, you're the first PR company that's, got the head around this everyone is just catching up um and so it was became a hybrid it's certainly not what you know you guys were doing because i said to you, you know we didn't all these what do you mean what are youtubers Why, who are all these people outside portland street <laughs> watching <laughs> our way to the coffee shop what's going on um but we had to get you know we had to catch up really quickly And so I would say we're more integrated now, but the the baseline always is whatever tool we use, it's about building those relationships and those connections. And for any brand or business or individual, we know without the relationships, you know, we can't operate in a vacuum. So it's all about that integrity relationship and the values of relationship. so yeah it's way more interesting now than it was when I started out of my career it's
2: interesting your values really seem like your personal values are your business values and then the values of your team mm. you know it's really unique to, to see that really that that chain all the way through your life really yeah um and it comes across in, in in the way you talk about your own life and the business, which is fascinating.
0: Yeah, well that's when it changed when we actually did that piece of work and I would say to anybody, the best piece of work you can do for yourself and your business, but even if you've not got a business, sit down and it's not a quick job, sit down and work out what's important to you and what your non-negotiables are. Because I have been I grew up um you know, my dad was very entrepreneurial, my mum was like Go to the back of the queue, we had family hold back expression in our house. If anyone came around for tea, there wasn't enough food, family hold's back and so everyone eats first. So my, that, and I think it was an old kind of value for, for, certainly for girls, stand at the back of the queue. When everyone else is looked after, the polite thing is to do is for you to come forward and then you're okay then. And that's a really, really conflicting kind of way to grow up because what you do find there is the fact that you feel that your needs aren't as important as everybody else's. And so, therefore, it's very easy to be taken away from what what your gut needs, what your your gut is telling you is important for you to keep you safe and and present. Yeah. But you know if you're trying to run a business and you, your own values are such that you'll be able, allow poor behaviour towards you, that essentially means you allow poor behaviour towards your children and you'll accept poor behaviour in you're in working environment, either that's from employees or from clients. Mm-hmm. So you are not protecting yourself and the people around you. You've got to look at where you have screwed up, what treatment you've allowed, or where you've not shown up for other people because perhaps you've been in a victim position for a while. And, you know, you're, it's a recovery of some kind. And doing that work, which was deeply traumatic and it had to peel back a lot of stuff, um, it, it's liberating, like, it's liberating. So um, the work needs to be done and most people don't do it because it's frightening <laughs> to do it. And the coach I worked with to put the business into our uh, our team, who Chris Brindley, amazing guy, met him at United, I knew I wanted to work with him. He said to me, you'll lose people um, and you will because all of a sudden you don't have to then be saying to somebody that I don't like that behaviour, doesn't sit with me, it makes me feel uncomfortable. It's up on the wall. It says no dickheads up there. And if you're going to walk past that as a team member, 20 times a day being a dickhead, you you can't stay there for a long time. And consequently, when I had that up on my wall, um, personally, I wasn't tolerating any more dickheads in my life. So it's as much for me as it was for, for a working environment.
2: Fascinating. Do you feel you still, still have to check in or kind of, you know, oh, actually, you know, uh, I need to test myself at whether I am living up to these values, and do every so often definitely. forget about one, and need to, definitely, yeah.
0: And we have one of our values: admit it, fix it, move on. And that's not a cop cop out. That is actually to say, well, are we showing up? Am I actually leaning to these values, or do I need to just step back? But once you've got the values in place, it does give you that benchmark, and it gives you that safety net because you know what they are. I think, and I think they do evolve. You know, I think they do evolve, but that piece is so intrinsically important to my life and to Roland Dransfield and that's definitely why we're flourishing because we did that five years ago, no coincidence.
1: Fascinating. Thank you for joining us today with Lisa on the Summit. I've been very moved by our conversation and kind of what you've gone through in your journey and I hope that if you're listening, it inspires you on your next adventure.
0: Thank you for having me, it's been like therapy. <laughs> <laughs>